today. Uh, we'll take another listen to my interview with the legendary Dame Lois Muir, which began talking with her about her childhood. Um, I was a country kid, school teams and, you know, playing into school stuff, country kid and great and got looked at and managed to be seen, yeah. What was the school? Matara. <laughs> yeah. Cool, uh, way down. It has to be made famous with the scourer from Matara, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you loved it, but you loved basketball too, hey? Oh, yes, I was really fortunate. Um, basketball, well, I played for New Zealand as well, and I toured Australia with the first New Zealand women's basketball team that had ever toured in, in 1958, so that dates me a little bit. But I was fortunate because my sister went to Teachers College in Dunedin, and then she came back on section teaching at Matara, and she was playing basketball, and their team was always short. And uh, we managed to bully my mother into letting me go and fill in. I was still at primary school, a little bit of a horror, probably. <laughs> but, um, oh, I thought it was marvellous. I had a bike, of course, and get on my bike and bike down the road and then stop. And in those days, there was a thing called Tangy Natural Lipstick. It was a little black container <laughs> with orangey lipstick in, but when you put it on, it went pink. Yeah. So I'd put this lipstick on trying to look older and get out there on the basketball court <laughs> with these older women. <laughs> God, the reverse process would be a bit more difficult today to... Yeah. reverse the ageing, but never mind. <laughs> but that's, that's what gave me the fun thing. Uh, you know, I had good coaches, but no pressure. Licence to kill. And mm. I think it's come with me right through my life. Yeah, love that. It sounds like you had a quite a busy childhood, did you? Oh, yeah, I did. Well, my unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was nine. And you live in the country and your mother doesn't drive a car. So, you know, you've got to do things. I used to bike a mile to the station and catch the train to Gore for netball training. So when I made um, oh, an East and Southland team. But it went to, it took me to the first New Zealand tournament in my life in 1949. And that was here in Dunedin. And I looked at the top players. I was down a lower grade, goodness knows what. Um, but I looked at the top players and thought, oh, goodness gracious, it'd be marvellous to be out there. But then my mother shifted to Dunedin oh, a year later, 1950, because my brother and sister were here in yeah. Dunedin, and that's where it's gone from there. Uh-huh. I expect there wasn't much of an international seen for, for netball in the, in the middle of the century? No, no. I mean, netball, you know, we were looking at rugby playing all over the world, and here was netball in New Zealand. We played nine aside, which were different rules to the rest of the world. Mm. So, you know, I played, you know, 15 years for Otago, but the highest I could get most of all of that time till 1960 was to play for the South Island team against the North Island uh-huh. team at the end of tournament because we couldn't tour because yeah. there was no one to play. Huh. And so the the first World Netball Championship was coming up in England 
and I admire those marvellous woman administrators who made the decision to change netball in New Zealand from nine-a-side to seven-a-side. You've got to remember, every netball court in the country had to change because the seven-a-side was a smaller court. And everyone was going, oh, but we'll lose players. Where will those other girls go that aren't on the court? But they were women before their time, and they took us to the first world championship Mm. in 1963. They they had a vision that they thought there'll be a bit of there'll be a bit of administrative trouble and and a bit of um, I guess housekeeping in the first couple of years, but then we'll be able to compete against the rest of the world on their own terms. Yeah, yeah. 1960. I mean, they only changed the rules to seven aside in 1959. Wow. And I was in that New Zealand team that toured Australia in 1960. So we were new, sort of new kids on the block. We, you know, and any time at that time when we played Australia, we had to play on grass. Horrible stuff for a defender, for goodness sake. <laughs> defence. Well, defence is marvellous because you you use your sound, you hear other people, or you scratch your feet near a shooter and get her upset. You know, lots of things you could do with, but you used your sound and on grass, it just sucked mm. the energy out of your legs. That's You're so jumping and everything, you know. Horrible stuff for a defender, anyway. So, talking about your playing career, is there one game you remember as a highlight above all others? Oh, of course. In 1960, we were a great team because we were. We were breaking ground. We were making history. We were going somewhere. And we played our first test match against Australia in the centre court in Adelaide, the tennis area region, the tennis open pavilion. We played outside, of course, all the time. But the centre court for tennis, and we played there, crowd in the grandstand, great stuff. Oh, I could have jumped up and grabbed the moon, actually, but um, <laughs> no, no, that would be my best game. But oh. that was a great tour because we felt we were really breaking ground here. Yeah. What position were you? Oh, I was goal defence. I used to quite like wing defence occasionally, but I never seemed to get out there very much. Wing defence can be, you know, a mean person and sort of go around and do little bits and pieces. But goal defence, I always had responsibility. And uh, over the years, for a tiger, I used to have goalkeepers saying, come back, Lois, come back, come back. <laughs> <laughs> I would be out there running around, you know, looking for pickings and things that you can't do as much today. Yeah. And looking forward to your coaching career, were you quite a strategic player? Did you think deeply about the game? Yeah, I think my basketball background made me into that sort of coach. I coached a junior side for Otago earlier and I was obnoxious. I was yelling at the kids and I wanted to get out there and do it. And I made a decision then that I was going to be on the sideline making them do the work. And um, the basketball side of me, I liked the strategic thinking. You know, when you coach and your team's reasonably successful, 
you've got to be so careful that they don't get complacent. And I used to sort of think it was clever. If you could change your strategy just a little bit when you're successful, because the other coach is coaching to what you're doing. And when you change your tactics slightly, You've ruined their coaching <laughs> And I used to love that. I used to love getting in the other coach's head and seeing what opportunity they had to bring people on that we were going to master. And no surprises probably was my yeah. motto. Know the umpire. You know, you can get an umpire. We got lots of international umpires had to be neutral but they weren't quite up to standard. Yeah. But they had the whistle for the air, and the girls had to understand that. You can't fight the umpire. If they're pulling you up for something, they're right. Yeah. I guess that's that's would be the true of the development of any sport, right, as, as a sport matures and gets more international and, and more professional. I use that, I guess, a small p. Um, the standard of umpiring goes up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to bring them along with you. And we had umpires touring with us. We had a a marvellous woman, Dawn Jones, who was a top umpire here in New Zealand for many, many years. And she toured with us, and she understood the players' philosophy on court, uh, which I would say very few other umpires ever did. So how did you get the New Zealand job? Oh, well, that was a surprise, actually. Um, I retired, and I said I would never go on the netball court again. Yeah. Once you retire, because I'd seen older players retire and go down the other side, but they were shrewd, but they weren't prepared to do the fitness. You know, you really mm. hit, if you've played at the top level, your mind still wants you to do it, but as you don't train, your body isn't up to it, and you get a bit mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I coached Otago, and I went to a national championship as a um, selector of a team for the islands, which was in um, 1972. And... When we got to tournament, um, my youngest son, I had three boys. My youngest son was just a baby. I had a very close friend who was going to look after him for the week I was going to be away. And when we got to national championships, the Netball New Zealand executive said, we've made a bit of a mistake because one of those selectors has to be the coach. This is interesting. So I rang Murray, my lovely husband, my late Murray, who was marvellous, put up with me for years, and said, what do you think I should do? And he said, if you don't take the opportunity now, it mightn't be there when you're ready. And that was the start of it. I did 72, which was an islands tour, of um, second, third, and fourth grade New Zealand side. It was preliminary, but it was interesting. And it was, you know, baptism by fire, but a lot of officials came with us, and we were doing coaching in schools at the same time. And then in 73, 
another team was to go to Australia and it was an under-24 New Zealand team. Uh, the exe New Zealand executive decided they didn't want to take senior players there. They wanted to grow some other people coming up for the World, for world Championships in New, um, New Zealand in 75. So I took that team as well. And that virtually, those two lower coaching New Zealand jobs got me into, or got me selected for the first year I did New Zealand, 1974. And went through for, I think, 15 years after that. There's a couple of really big highlights. The <laughs> 1979 World Netball Championships. Mm -hmm. Tell me about yes. these ones. That was a toughie. That was a toughie. We, we, um, you got to remember in those days, and I think I'm rabbiting on a little bit, but there was no substitutions. You had to pay 12 players, and they had to play for the game, unless they were really badly injured or ill. And we went to Jamaica to acclimatise because we were going to play outside in Trinidad in the heat of the day. Some of the games were going to be 3 o'clock. So Jamaica, we started training at um, 8 in the morning and three in the, 4 in the afternoon and brought the training times into the heat of the day. Yeah. So the by the time we got to Trinidad, we were fairly okay. Trinidad um, was under was a difficult country because yeah. economically it was stressed, a lot of poverty, but the government had put millions into a complex for people to play in. And they were they were determined they were going to win this world championship, no doubt about it. But the surface was lay coal, so it's a green surface that people play tennis on in those days. But also, tennis doesn't play in the rain but it was the rainy season, yeah. and netball had to play. Gosh. We had to play outside. So it got very, very difficult. It was a complicated system. A, a round robin, it ended up with three teams winning, and that was really, really a challenge. And there was a couple of teams doing sort of naughty stuff that wanted to win. At that tournament, I was probably pushed to the max. Huh. Can you tell me more about that? Well, what happens is, all right, it was a rainy season. One of This was a type of thing that was happening. Yeah. We were to play at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it rained, and the people would try and squeegee off the courts. But we were play, We had to play at 11 o'clock at night because there was no extra day. Oof. But the naughty stuff was that, um, people hung on to skirts or you're getting shoot Margaret Matinga was shooting a penalty and they're standing on her foot, you know, pressing hard on her other foot sort of thing. And you know, the umpires weren't that skilled. You couldn't sort of say something because you were held ball. You're only allowed to have the ball in your position yeah. within three seconds, not for three seconds. So you you really have to do better than it. And there was a lot of stuff going on and a lot of umpires a little bit using whistle to suit themselves too. Oh, gee, okay. And 
So I actually got the team down and said, right, this is where I'm at. If the skills of the game don't win, I don't want to be here. Huh. <laughs> and that was a tough time. I yeah. was feeling bad. Yeah. <laughs> because when a player retaliates, they're worse than what's been done to them. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine that's one of those times where you've got to be quite firm with uh, with the athletes and say, hey, here's what we're going to do, and we're oh, yeah. we're not going to fight but back. They knew that. You've got to look after your own game. You cannot get emotionally involved with a player. Once you get like that, you've lost your perspective mm. and you've lost your team unity because you're there fighting something for you. Well, you must have done something right because you won the tournament. Oh, yeah. Well, we joint winners, but that was good. Uh, that's that's, that's funny to, to look at by 2023 standards that you could have a World Cup and it's done, round robin and there's three teams tied on points yeah. so that's a, that they share the gold medal. Yeah, I know. But then the three teams were to, with their flags were to march into the stadium at the same time. But no, Trinidad ran ahead and <laughs> wanted to go in first. <laughs> and, you know, after we finished the last game... it. This was the sort of thing. We beat Trinidad in the last game by about five or six or something. It had been wet and it was awful. And it was a mammoth effort. But, you know, the scorers and timekeepers, and them, they spat on us and threw stuff at us and that. And we'd been friendly with them all the time. But, you know, they lost their perspective. They, they wanted their country to win. And we're sitting in the team bus ready to be um, police escorted. All the teams had to have police escorts. And the, all the teams stayed in the Hilton Hotel. The girls never got out of there. Um, we're sitting in the bus waiting to leave, and people are banging on our bus and annoyed with us, you know. Mm. It, it, it just, um, it's good for you. Mm. <laughs> so that's 1979. 1983, you head to Singapore, come runner-up, and then I, I get the feeling that by 1987, you're really heading into that tournament with the team exactly how you want it. Yeah, how they wanted, which was marvellous. Mm. Some were carried over from 83 that was felt, <laughs> mind you, I want the people listening to think, playing outside in Singapore in... Um, three in the afternoon isn't my favourite time to do things, but uh, it was pretty mixed, that tournament. Yeah. But in 87, the team knew really where it wanted to be. I mean, we could do if We did a lot of our fitness sessions with schools of the game activities, and we could do an hour of work that I wouldn't have to say anything. I mean, different players took different sections, but... And if anyone instead of catching the ball, patted it to the ground and then picked it up and was dying to have a wee rest. The others didn't want to work with that person. <laughs> you know, they knew exactly where they wanted to be. It was a marvellous group to have. And, and we talked a bit about strategy earlier and, and being unpredictable. And you chose in that tournament in 1987 not to play... Margaret Forsyth and Margie Martinga together, and arguably 
one of our greatest shooting combos. Can you tell me about that decision? Mm. Well, they were the greatest shooting combo in the world for many, many years. And that broke my heart. But I knew they could not be playing together at that tournament because any international player who becomes predictable has a limited future. <sighs> and the two of them knew exactly what they were going to do, nod, nod, wink, wink. But that was the era where everyone was videoing the games and reading players and knew exactly what people wanted to do. And also, you know, it becomes an Achilles heel because you're used to doing that and then somebody doesn't let you do it. You're not as good as you used to be. So that broke my heart, but um, I think it paid off. And, you know, when you have a team that's doing well and you introduce one less experienced player, it lifts the metal of all the others because you've got to watch your back. Mm. You've got to not help the other person but just be wary that they may not just read the game quite as well or something. It, it lifts the whole feel of the team. You know what I mean? You can't just be complacent and think, oh, hum, another throw-off. You've got this strange little body out there that you're not sure what they're going to do. Mm. It's fun. <laughs> Did you get a bit of stick from the media? No, no one knew, knew very much about it, really. <laughs> um, you know, we played, what, in those days, well, in Glasgow, we played 11 games and outside in 13 days. And the same with Trinidad, we played 12 games in 13 days. So, you know, we were pretty much under the pump in... I'm, I'm, I admire Noel, Dame Nolene today for the fitness, but my lot, they had to be fit to survive because you've got to remember it wasn't until 83 that we could sub players. Mm. So they were on for the hour regardless. So you had to be fit, otherwise you were yesterday's person. <laughs> I'm speaking with Dame Lois Muir. Was that... The highlight then for you as coach, winning that 1987 tournament? Oh, it's a great feeling. You know, I think it's like the players, you worked and you worked and you, you're that relieved at the end, you sort of slide down the wall, you know what I mean. But uh, no, winning world championships is fun. But for me, the strong young women that I coached, have gone on to be stronger women and leaders, and a lot of them have stayed in the game, which means they enjoyed it. Um, it was fun, but it was hard work. So, so what I'm getting from that is that it's not so much the results that you treasure from your uh, coaching, it's, it's what you brought out in the players and, and what you, I, I guess, ended up contributing to the sport. Yeah, I think... You know, when you're doing something and you're always going forward, yeah. you don't think about it. Like, when I retired, I thought, I looked back behind me and thought, oh, gosh, did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it all. And, in fact, to retire, you know, I was addicted to it. Hmm. But 
you got to know exactly when. At Glasgow, three or four players were going to retire, and that's the only time I almost saw the work ahead. And I knew I shouldn't be there at the next world. So you handed it on, and we are so grateful for what you did with that team and, and for your legacy in, in the game. You, you still follow it, eh? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, I still poke the borax at the TV and moan about what they're doing, and um, I follow them. I actually send the team an email before every series. <laughs> I've got to have my tuppence worth. <laughs> and uh, it might be to say one step at a time is the way to go, or I will say something in the email to them. Are you excited by the sort of the trajectory the sport's taken since you stepped away? Oh, yes. I, I don't think the game has changed that much, really. It's got more competitive, more aggressive. The umpires have got a bit better, no doubt about it. And there's uh, lots of things. I think sometimes when I look at the series on TV, I see the umpires get picky in the goal circle. They could be a bit more picky at the people running on people's shoulders in the midfield before they get the ball. But that's life, and it is coping with what's there. Netball's a very simple game. The simple things succeed, and you're given half the ball to play with. So do you want to do well with the ball you've got or do you want to get more ball to do work with? I was a defensive coach and I wanted more ball because I wanted my shooters to have more shots and us to be able to make mistakes. I'll ask you this in the wake of the Quad Series final. Does Netball need a a video referee reply system? (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, that was... Those two poor umpires certainly had egg on their face. It's um, <laughs> As players, you've got to be aware, and as umpires, you've got to be more aware. Um, yeah, they definitely should bring something in now that they can go back to the monitor and look at that. That was a bit of a shortfall. It made us look like a cottage industry, but never mind. Dame Lois Muir, thank you for everything uh, that you've given to the sport and to New Zealand life. And thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun.